is Chelsea Higgs Wise. And I decided to start a show about being the biracial girl who was living her life, being half and half, never picking a side until one day the world informed me, girl, you're black. I'm from the Listening to Race Capital with Chelsea Higgs Wise on WRIR. Hey Chelsea. Hey Kat. So Chelsea, we have a very special episode today for Women's History Month. Yeah, we do. So we hopped over to the broad, a women's co-working spot. So if you hear a little echo, don't worry, that's just what happens when you amplify women's voices. Ooh, amplifying women's voices? Tell me more about that. Absolutely. So that's what this episode is all about, is believing women, trusting women. And so we invited women of color from all over Richmond to come share their stories. That is awesome. So these are the women making history, and here are their stories. Hi, Luce. Thanks so much for joining us. Why don't you tell everybody your name and go ahead and spell that for us too. Okay, so my name is Luz Rios. It's L-U-Z. It's like Lucy without the E. I just tell people it's loose like goose, but loose. It means light in Spanish. So Luz, tell us, how did you arrive in Richmond? My family is originally from the Dominican Republic. So if you see me, I I look black. You would never guess that I am Hispanic, not even in a million years, but I look black. And so racially I'm black, but I have a very thick accent, I guess. And so people always ask me, but what you talk funny, what's going on? And so my family immigrated here from the Dominican Republic and I was actually born in New York. And then I was raised in Las Vegas. And in Las Vegas, my parents, once again, they went to go work with the church. In Las Vegas, we worked with uh, Mexican people, primarily Mexican people. So when they saw us, they were like, you're Hispanic, but you're black. (laughs) So they were like, you're ugly, your nose is big, your lips are big, you're weird looking. Uh, uh." And I remember there was even an incident where there was a kid who pushed me off of, uh, we were doing like a community lunch and he, he, we were sitting on a picnic table and he just, he's like, you're ugly and I don't like you. And you know, kids are mean anyways, but he was like, you're ugly and I don't like you and you're black. And he just pushed me off. And um, when, once he pushed me off, I, I was bleeding a lot and the kid had tore my ear open so I was like oh crap and then my parents were like my parents being good Hispanics that they are like you could stand it just wait and then we waited and they it's okay I still got my ear everybody I still got my ear um but um but it was very interesting to be in a whole new place because you're not you know you don't look like anyone around you you know and so if you see me I have very curly hair and so my mom would try to straighten our hair with like um like an iron to to iron your clothes. Like the real iron? Like the iron, not like a flat iron, but like a real Okay, iron. Hispanic mama. <laughs> you know, black, we know the hot comb would get them edges, but y'all were the, the home laundry mat iron. Okay, okay. 
So in Dominican Republic, um, we have a mixture of black people and Spaniards. That's the biggest mixture. So the Spaniards came in, they killed all the indigenous people, and then they brought the black people in because they needed sugarcane. So they brought all the, uh, the slavery and all of that to the Dominican Republic. And in Dominican Republic, it was very different because people didn't, the, the, the Spaniards that settled there didn't go with families. They kind of just went by themselves. So the women that were enslaved, they kind of just made it and everyone just got along and everybody just mixed in together. So in Dominican Republic, you will see a lot of white people with nappy hair or dark people with straight hair. And it's a whole hodgepodge of just colors and shades and everything. But even in Dominican Republic, you can't wear your hair curly because it's considered pelo malo. It's considered bad hair. So in Dominican Republic, it's very Eurocentric. You want to look European. You want your hair to be long and straight. And the hair is like the biggest, the biggest deal for Dominican women. It's like, wow, look at, tu si tiene el pelo bueno. You're like, your hair is so good, right? And so and luckily it's changing now, but. um. So that's so interesting that you say that because you talk about Dominican hair and let me go ahead and talk about all the Dominican <laughs> hair salons here in Richmond. And that's what they do. You go there to get your hair burnt straight okay like it is serious it's a craft they got it so that's so interesting of course that i've never even thought about that being the stigma down there the the taboo piece of it and they brought it here and now it's actually like a great commodity for them because we're just as eurocentric and want it all straight but like you said i think it's getting better here too and it's so interesting because uh, I'll go to a lot of Dominican salons and now you see people starting to try to do like curly hairs or things like that. But it's still like, why don't you straighten your hair? <laughs> and I'm like, because I don't want to be in there for three hours. It's a really big, I mean, and people don't understand that, okay, you want to look a certain way, but it's a sacrifice. You're spending three hours of your life doing rollers, getting your hair blown just to have hair, straight hair for a week. Uh-uh, I wasn't born that way. Anyways, so I was talking about hair because I live on my mom was, I ironing my hair so we could kind of just fit in. And then I was like, you know, I always considered myself to be lesser, to be ugly, to be maybe not as smart, just because I think those, the what people speak into you, you that's kind of what you got, especially when you're younger. And so um, I, luckily we moved out of, we were in a smaller area from Las Vegas, it's called Pahrump, it's about an hour out. And then we moved to Las Vegas. And then in Las Vegas, I was very fortunate because I was in a very diverse school. My school would bust in people from different places. And I was in a very diverse school, but the black people didn't like me because I wasn't black enough. And then the Hispanic people didn't like me because I wasn't Hispanic enough. So I hung out with the Asians, right? <laughs> you just make the best of what you got, whatever's going on, you just make the best of it. And so I got to tap into a lot of different cultures. You know, my best friend was from the Philippines. And then my other best friend was half black, half Japanese, but very Japanese, you know? And it was the first time I had to sit on the floor and eat with like the chopsticks. And I'm like, okay, well, let's figure it out. But it, it, it really, you know, I loved it because it opened up my mind and my eyes to, okay, loose. When I was with my white friends, no, you can't, you can't talk that loud. Oh, okay. This is how I need to speak. Yeah. <laughs> but you, you, you learn how to assimilate, right? And I, I think it's not a, I'm going to lose my culture or lose myself, but kind of like, okay, I'm, let's work together. I loved my experience because I really got to flourish 
culturally, I got to meet so many people. I got to do so many things and even at birthday parties, you know, and you realize that everyone is more alike than different. And we may have different things that we strive for and different ways of being, but a lot of people, we all got aunties and uncles that talk smack, you know, we all got every, everybody, everybody, we all, we all in the same boat. We just got little differences that I think we make bigger just because I think we were trying to separate, like make ourselves better. But at the end of the day, everyone has their thing right so you were out born in new york mm -hmm. went around to nevada mm -hmm. learned all the assimilation techniques so how did you do all that and get to richmond so oh, so mind you i don't work with black or white people i work with hispanics okay, okay. and i work the, the majority of people that i work with are newly immigrated Hispanics. And oh my God, oh my. It's like living in the like 40s or 50s because, um, and, we're, and I'm working with church. So I'm from Las Vegas and there's like naked people all around. There's sinners all around. And I'm just like, whatever, you you get used to that, whatever, right? And so um, living here, I when I moved here, I was wearing my girly girl. I like heels, I like makeup, I like big hair. So just so you know, just, just so you know. But I got here, I'm wearing my heels and my makeup and my hair is all done and I'm so like I'm feeling so cute because you want to make a good impression on people when you first meet them and when they see me they're like you are a sinner oh my gosh look at you have lips and you have why why aren't you wearing a, a long skirt and one of the ladies I remember she told me that I was trying to steal all of their husbands yeah and I was like I don't even like them they're not even cute <laughs> I was like have you seen my husband he's really cute anyways it was very interesting to kind of see the shift because I come from a very liberal place to a very I mean if we think that white people are conservative here you need to meet the Hispanic Christian people like they're really 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 conservative and so that was my biggest challenge kind of trying to break the ice with them because they did not like me whatsoever and I'm likable like I usually like I'm like okay you like yay and then no they did not like me whatsoever so it was a really hard transition but I think we go back to remembering that people are people and regardless of language, race, or whatever, even if you have different things than me or different styles than me or different approaches than me, at the end of the day, we are still people. So I think I had to kind of get over the, oh, you don't like me too. Okay, so what, we're different in these ways. So what are we, uh, what are we similar in? Let's talk about what we're similar in. Okay, you have a family, I have a family. Okay, you've gone through struggles, I've gone through struggles. And then instead of seeing them as you and I, or me against you, it's us. So what are we gonna do together? And so it, it was so cool to be able to sit with people and hear their stories and to understand why they thought the way that they thought or understand why they said the things that they said or understand that it wasn't necessarily because they, they just thought that, but that's what they learned. That's what they were raised around. That's the only thing they knew. And so it was really cool to be able to tap into that and be like, oh, oh, okay. All right, so let me, let me show you a little bit of me and kind of go in through that aspect instead of just being like, nah, you're a sinner, nah, you're a sinner, you're dumb. No, 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 no. I, I had to kind of relearn how to just sit back and say, okay, where do we go from here? And so that was, that was, that was the biggest 
that was the biggest thing. So you got to Richmond and you started helping out in a church. Mm -hmm. And so what is helping out? What do you do for help? So we, church is all about like giving people the word, giving people the gospel and all of this. And I'm like, but we don't have no resources. Like, where do we go? What do we do? And so I was like, nah, we can't just give people the word. Cause I was like, yo, Jesus was over here feeding people and hanging out with drunk people. And they, he didn't care. He was just like, so I was like, this is not this we need to do. So I started getting involved more in the community. And my thing is, I just want to be a bridge to let people know, hey, this is here. This is there. Maybe you can't do this, but you can go through here. And so I think being more of a liaison or a facilitator. And then more than anything, I think helping people bust their own bubbles. So I went with a kid um, and he's from Guatemala and we went with him and we went to a poetry night. And in that poetry night, they had a lot of business owners there and they were all black. It was a black business owners poetry. And he, after we were done, he told me, I never knew black people had businesses. Yeah, yeah. Because remember, if we stay in our bubbles, we are all have our own concepts of people. So when I talk about helping out in church, I'm bursting bubbles. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. So is church, do your church, that a place for you where you feel safer, somewhere you can be yourself? And how did you find that place when you came to Richmond? I, I So I had to learn that it wasn't because even at church, I kind of had to be someone else. I had to wear my long skirt. I had to not wear so much makeup and I couldn't be the crazy person that because I, I like to dance. So we dance at church too in Dominican Republic. You'll be like, hey, hey, hey. I went to the islands the other day and there was a lady twerking at church. She was in her 60s. And I was like, yep, these are my people. Anyways, so um, <laughs> so I think you, you really have to learn how to find yourself everywhere that you are. Um, and I think it, it, it has to be because I, I've never had a space, you know, even with my parents, we grew up in a trailer and then luckily we got a home and then, but I've never had necessarily a space that is mine. So I think you have to create a space. You have to just, wherever you go, you have to remember that you have something special that you only you can offer the world. You know, maybe someone is smarter or prettier or more talented, but I say weird jokes. So maybe that's my thing, you know? And so I think I had to find it in, in me because I was a very depressed child. You know, my parents divorced. After being ministers, my parents, my dad decided he wanted to start a new family and he left and my mom was alone. And you get a lot of pointed fingers, especially in the Christian world, quote unquote Christian world. We kind of have a, like a very pompous view of I'm the best and I'm great and I'm not a Center. And you, you look at the Bible and it's like, that's not, that's not how you, it's, it rolls, but it's okay. <laughs> um, but it's okay. But um, so going through that, I suffered a lot of depression because I was like, oh my gosh, now I don't fit this pompous, I'm the best and nothing's wrong with me view. And so I think it, one, it had to be God, right? And so literally I had to pray. I had to seek after God. I had to be like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Because I was at the point where I wanted to kill myself. I wanted to kill myself with a butter knife so it didn't hurt, but I wanted to kill myself, right? But um, now looking back at it, I'm, I'm so grateful that, um, you know, I was able to grasp on to God and just be like, dude, dude, come on, help me. Because I think that gave me kind of the joy and the light and the vibrancy to just be able to see a hope for the future because there was nothing else going on. And so that's, that's that. Last thing. For any of our listeners that would love to hear some Spanish or something in their language would you mind sharing a little bit about your hopes for Richmond for our Spanish-speaking population? Mira, cien mil veces creo que es posible poder 
transcedir todo lo que nosotros pensamos, lo que queremos um, y llegar al punto de poder corresponder con gente completamente diferente que nosotros. Es simplemente tomar el paso de hacerlo, um, porque nadie es ni mejor ni menor, nadie es ni más ni menos, pero aquí estamos todos juntos, todos somos una raza que es la raza humana. Um, so yo te invito a salir de tu centro de confort y, y uh, poder conocer gente diferente, co poder conocer culturas diferentes y aprender de ellos y que ellos aprendan de lo que tú tienes uh, por delante. So, eso es mi deseo, mi, mi gran, gran deseo para la ciudad de Richmond. Thank you so much, Luz. Thank you for being here and thank you for gracing our place, space and time tonight here in Race Capital. Rebecca Keel. Hey, Rebecca. Thanks so much for being here with us. We're doing a special episode with Women Voices, and really excited that you decided to come join us and grace us with your voice. So first off, tell us a little bit about how you identify and what people should know about you. So I am 26 years old. I'm going to be 27 in August. I use the pronouns they and she. Um, I'm gender fluid or gender queer. Either term is fine. I identify as um, African American, Black. I also have albinism, so I totally look Swedish. Um, <laughs> and people, people, uh, you know, I have blonde hair and 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 really light eyes and like lily white skin. So you know, I understand how people. Uh, peg me as white. But in fact, I'm African-American, 70% West African, and 33% Irish. So I'm mixed as well. I also have a disability. I'm legally blind. My vision is very, very low. I have sight, but it's quite limited. And so the United States government pegs me as a person with a disability, and so do I. So we're aligned on that. <laughs> I'm also from Richmond, right, by way of Chesterfield County, which was, you know, it's now North Chesterfield and how the districts have been labeled and drawn are interesting, but I've had a lot of family in the city. My grandparents grew up here. My father grew up in the city. Um, my mother's from the country, so I got a good mix of everything in between Prince George to here. Thank you, first of all, for laying all of that out. And something that you really you say and you talk about a lot is just how gender and I believe race too is just something that we all made up. Can you give a little bit about your feedback of how you feel it's important to make that stance and talk about that when you talk about your identity? Yeah, so gender is a social construct in the way that we peg when someone is born, uh, we label them with a whole lot of expectations that has a whole color scheme and a way that you live your entire life. And I think that as, as, as humans, we uh, have the capability to evolve into an understanding that the roles that we put on ourselves based on our anatomy ain't really that helpful a lot of the times, especially in a society where people are way more, have way more access to tools that they need for success, right? And that can be looked at in so many different ways between um, women being in the workforce more, right? That's a tool that we need for our own self-determination as well as just independence from uh, trans and gender non-conforming folks, um, folks who are having more access to medical care and, and necessities to affirm their gender. So it's 2019, people are evolving. Gender was a social construct that we made up anyway. And so I am really, thankful to be living in a time and space where the way I identify and feel is actually accepted in, in society. And I say that 
And it's also hard to find spaces um, where that is accepted across the board. So accepting my race and my albinism and my gender fluidity and my disability. And so the intersections of my life do make it difficult to find some spaces. But I do think that I was born in the right generation for it. So So speaking of spaces in Richmond, so spaces are places in Richmond that you feel like you can be safer, you can express yourself, that you feel that real acceptance. And I hate the word tolerate, right? For a while, people were like, oh, we're going to be tolerant. But places and spaces where you really feel safe. So I'll start with spaces, right? Because there aren't a lot of like buildings that you know, explicitly are like, we accept everyone here, da-da-da. And there's more of that, and I'm thankful for that. But we create a lot of our own spaces in places. So I love circle spaces. Anytime there's a room full of, like, well-intentioned folks who are wanting to come together, sit in a circle, talk about whatever, whether that's identity, whether that's faith, whether that's just what's going on in your world, moments where people can be vulnerable with each other and then can build from there. I really appreciate those. I found spaces like that through community organizing work. I've also found that through through some faith spaces, namely uh, Restoration Fellowship. Shout out Restoration Fellowship, RVA. Uh, Reverend Lisette Cross and Brooke Taylor. Y'all create some really nice spaces. I appreciate y'all for that. And yeah, other spaces... Spaces for like shared learning experiences where we're like really developing our, our understanding of politics, developing understanding of what's going on in the city. We're, um, um, you know, building building strategy. I'm, I'm a strategist, so I love that. Um. <laughs> so is that you said we have to create our spaces uh, knowing you just a little bit. I know that you're also an organizer. Are when you're organizing, is that something you also consider in creating that space? Absolutely, yeah. How we, how is an how is a community organizer that every single dinner table around or meeting space that I have any semblance of like facilitation control? I will, you know, get folks to do pronouns to talk about uh, a little bit of themselves outside of the work, so we can get to know each other a little more. So it's not strictly a meeting. Also create space for people to say like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to be vulnerable or okay, I actually didn't know that. And just to create an atmosphere where people are comfortable expressing that they're in a learning process. Um, and that could be learning about anything. But that's really important to me in my organizing work. And it helps people feel comfortable, I have found. So a little bit more of my background, I have my MSW, Master's in Social Work and Clinical, in Clinical Social Work. And um, I've learned to develop a lot of skills that help create those spaces that help people feel safe and people feeling safe to help you be more vulnerable, which helps the work grow because people are uh, building trust with each other, which is one of the most important tools of community organizing and building community is trust. So using these skills that I've developed both through university as well as through just the practice of community organizing um, is something that I'd taken into spaces with, into places with me to create those spaces. Very cool. And I will definitely just testify, working with Rebecca, that she does a great job of that and modeling that in all the spaces is just something that I really look up to you for and I appreciate you doing that. No, really. So you mentioned no real places. Is there any place that you would want to mention that maybe even in a certain time that place might feel a little bit safer for you? So places and time, 
It was when, when I was a student at VCU and I did both my undergraduate and grad degree. So I had a good chunk of five years in the city center. I was living in Jackson Ward in the fan and it was easy for me to, you know, just find a house party <laughs> um, or, or a house show or be able to go to a certain night at a club. And so there have been a number of formal and informal organizations that find themselves in those places. Big shout out to Ice Cream Support, um, a queer DJ collective that y'all just really show up and make spaces so, so, so inviting and fun. So coming from a lot of like really heady political work, I just like to dance and I really enjoy finding a space that that's happening, even if the place isn't always that. But having a disability, um, that impairs my vision, I can't drive. And now that I don't live in the city center, finding those places is a little more difficult. And so I feel that I've been you know, trying to cultivate more spaces on the east end of town, which is way more easier said than done. But I'm also looking for recommendations. So anyone listening out there, let me know. Instagram campaign underscore mama. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. What is your favorite time of the year in Richmond? Summer. Because I can bike everywhere and wear cute shorts and not have to worry about uh, uh, like taking my every winter clothes item I would need with me because the temperature changes. You know, again, having a disability and navigating the city via bicycle is like a whole different kind of game. So I got to like pack my heels, like, you know, do all of that. So, um, and I can't wear too much makeup because I'll sweat, you know. It's really challenging, it really is, but I make it work. Um, so talk a little bit about, you were just mentioning what you like to wear in the summer. I also really appreciate your body positivity. I know that for certain gigs, you do a lot of different work. Could you also talk about the way that you really embrace your body as part of your work? One, I just wear what the hell I want. You know, I really do. Um, I was really thankful to have a mama who was super encouraging of me just being myself. She would tell me all the time, um, be yourself because everyone is already taken and you're also beautiful. So thanks for the encouragement, mama. And so, you know, I've been made to feel ashamed about my body from white folks, from black folks, from folks with melanin, right? Cause I ain't got none of that. Um, and it's part of albinism. And so I'm pale and being pale ain't really like all that sexy. So society says, um, so I'm in this interesting space of like body positivity where I like love black people and black. I'm a huge advocate for like body acceptance, self-acceptance for melanated folks, but I don't have any melanin. So my advocacy in that is like, it, it just finds itself in an interesting space. And I, you know, I'm advocating I wouldn't say advocating, but I'm just being myself and being present, you know, in the body that I have. So again, I wear what I want. Like, I don't care if I got pale legs. Those pale legs is shapely and look nice in shorts. And and I think part of cultivating that um, self-acceptance, I started doing figure model work when I was 18 in Richmond. There was a great art show called Disrobed 3. It was the, the third of an ongoing annual series of um, nude art. And so I stepped into that world and was met with all kinds of of different bodies and that just really built up an understanding that everybody is a beautiful body 
and beauty is truly in the eye of the beholder and working with so many extremely talented artists, um, amateur artists, professional artists, but all throughout Richmond has really like exposed me one to the art scene, but also to myself and seeing how people see me. And so that's really helped build up my confidence. I was just going to say, I something else I really enjoy about you and your presence is your creativity and really diving into that. Could you talk a little bit if at all, about how creativity, art has really brought out your identity and being able to express yourself? Yeah, so I'm an artist. I am a, a not the best practicing artist, <laughs> but I, I am a poet. I'm a dancer. I'm an MC when people um, make me feel comfortable enough to MC. <laughs> Talk about spaces. Um, <laughs> I could be a little shy on audio. Let's put it like that. But um, normally she's not shy. <laughs> <laughs> but so creativity is just, I mean, like being in such a creative city, a city that inspires me everywhere I go with, with street art, with fashion, with culinary arts as well. It's kind of really hard to like miss this <laughs> in yeah. Richmond. And so the way that shows up in myself is that like, I think your body and who you are, the, what you bring into spaces is a representation of your creativity. And so I want to, even if I'm not explicitly doing uh, a workshop on poetry, right, I'll still try to incorporate those creative pieces because I think it's important for people to just be able to express themselves in whatever means is comfortable. So if it's a strategy meeting and we're just like at a, at a roadblock for like where to go next, we'll try to incorporate some creative elements, just like coloring, doing some dance, just getting up and moving around and just doing things that get those those creative juices flowing so we can better integrate that into our work. So, because I mean, the work we're doing in, in community building, like I don't, we're literally building community and I don't want to live in a community that doesn't have art. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, yes. So again, thank you for that because you, I will definitely say, especially in the recent weeks, being able to be connected with you and aligned with you in that creativity spot has been a big reflection too of the self-care. And as an, another social worker, MSW Clinical, we should be thinking about that, but it's great to have reminders in our community, people that just put themselves out there and showing your joy through all of this has been so important for, for me and other people. So I definitely want to say thank you for that. And so lastly, what are your hopes for Richmond around places, spaces, and time for someone like you, someone that identifies how you do and anyone that can really see themselves in you? What are some of your hopes for Richmond? Um, some of my hopes for Richmond are that Richmond continues to be an ever-expanding space that, one, knows its own history and continues to expand on a reflection of that history. And that can be interpreted however y'all going to interpret that. Um, we can have conversations about that. IG, campaign, underscore, mama. But I think that my hopes for Richmond is to keep cultivating actual places for people to gather and and to break bread and to have fun and be creative together and to, to, to do the work that we need to keep on building up our communities. Thank you so much for being with us today and in this space here at the Broad, a women's co-working space. And is there anything else you want the people to know? Anything else that they should have in their ears or their hearts? Yeah, some organizations that I'm really thankful for for my own development are Southerners on New Ground um, or Song for short. And then I just want to encourage folks to go to the river, go be part of the nature in this city um, and connect with the land here. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Rebecca. 
Up next, we have Miss Risa Gomez. Thank you so much for being here. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how did you get to Richmond? I, I've been east now longer than I lived in Southern California. I moved from Southern California when I was 23. I moved to Virginia Beach for work. And so that gives away my age. Don't do the math. But um, all my family is back in California. I have no family here. I have made a lot of great friends here. But when people ask me, it's kind of interesting when people ask me, where are you from? If I'm not here in Richmond, if somebody asks, where are you from? Because you don't sound like you're from here. I always have to use this sort of disclaimer or caveat of, I live in Richmond, but I'm not from Richmond. And I, I think it's a, it's a cultural hang up perhaps that I have because I think, you know, where you spent a majority of your formative years, high school, grade school, and that really forms your character and the culture you grew up with. So you came to Richmond and what were some of your thoughts uh, compared to East Coast versus West Coast? I moved to Hampton Roads, Norfolk, Virginia Beach, whatever it's called. I think it has a bit of identity, um, a crisis. But um, So I lived in Norfolk for five years. I loved it. I made friends really fast. I inserted myself. Um, transient, and so it was easy to make friends. Then I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, for work and hated, hated Charlotte. Geographically isolated, homogenized, vanilla, corporate. Um, you know, you could go three hours in any direction and not really be anywhere else. So um, I tried to insert myself there in the community, in the museum scene, and couldn't. It was very clicky. So a complete contrast to what I experienced in Norfolk. And then moved to Richmond and lived on Strawberry Street for nine years. So it was my own little village. And I don't know if I would have liked Richmond as much if I hadn't have lived in the fan. It's, you know, diverse and fun. And so, um, you know, I look out my apartment window and see an art student with purple hair walking a goat on a leash. True, true story. And then right behind her was this very posh mom pushing a very posh baby buggy, very Norman Rockwell. So I love that juxtaposition, that complete contrast. It was really easy to make friends in the fan. And so it was great. When people talk about race or their identity, how do you show up and how do you take the time to explain that if you do at all? It's interesting when people just simply ask my name, which should be a very easy answer. I'll say my name and they'll get it wrong. Is that short for Teresa? Is it Risa? Is it, you know, and I'll explain. And then they'll hear my last name and they obviously assume I'm Mexican or some, some sort of Latino. And sometimes I get people just starting to speak Spanish at me. Although I, I grew up in Mexico City until I was four, but I was born in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. So my, you know, some people like to say I have a family tree. Well, I have a family bush. <laughs> so born in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, grew up in Mexico City. Spanish was my first language. Moved to California, started kindergarten, still speaking Spanish primarily. And back then, it wasn't a bilingual curriculum. So I remember distinctly taking speech classes when I was little, coming home really excited. And mom, I learned how to say popsicle. So... I remember the Spanish being forced out of me. And now in my adult life, I, I regret, you know, my whole family back in California is fluent in Spanish. My sister's household, primarily, that's all they speak. And so I really regret not remembering my Spanish. So this bush, tell me a little bit more about the bush that makes up Risa. Well, sometimes I say I'm adopted, just 
It's the easy way out. Um, in reality, though, I was raised by my grandmother. And so that makes my aunts my sisters. That makes my uncle my brother. And so I grew up calling my grandmother mom. Mother, actually it was mother. And it's always a tip-off when you hear somebody call their parents mother or father. It's a, it's a strained relationship. So it's not mom or mommy, it's mother. And um, close to my older sister, Kelly, and never thought of them as my aunts. My natural mother, I didn't grow up with in the same house. She was in Texas, and I didn't grow up with her, so I didn't really have a relationship with her. Um, so grew up with a lot of strong female figures in my family, not a lot of male figures. Don't know my father, had a violent stepfather. So yeah, really in tune to when men have violent tendencies. So with that lens coming to Richmond, what were some things that just really stood out to you around race or people's identity? It's interesting. Growing up in Southern California, there's definitely the Mexican community and being, you know, growing up in Mexico when I was small. So I'm very used to that culture. Coming to Virginia and looking for an authentic Mexican restaurant, you know, they are more prevalent now, but when I first moved to Virginia, they weren't around. And so just the history here sometimes is still striking to me. Um, for example, when I first started working downtown, I went to the pen and watch repair shop, which was just a block from the Capitol building and waiting for my, for, to get a battery for my watch. And a man comes in and it was warm out. So it was probably late spring, early summer and, um, wearing a seersucker suit with a bow tie. And he comes in and he hands over a very high-end ink pen, and he's got this accent, very Virginia accent. And my Mont Blanc ran out of ink in the middle of a reenactment. So the shopkeeper gives him his refill, and he goes on his way. I'm like, who, who was that? And he said, that was Jeb Stewart the fifth, I think. And um, so, like, as in, you know, Stewart Circle, as in Jeb Stewart, as in the eyes of Robert E. Lee, I mean, it's just, it's living history here, which surprises you sometimes. So, you know, there's not that same level of history in California. There's missions, you know, there's stories about the gold rush era, but there's not that sort of history. So being here and being from a different space, what type of hopes do you have for Richmond that really speak to how you see yourself? It's interesting. Um, I still feel like an outsider. So when I watch these conversations about race or about the history, what to do with the monuments, how to memorialize the, the slave trade that was here, you know, I, I don't feel like I can express, you know, I'm, I'm not from here. I have opinions about it, and hopefully there will be some agreement of how to address these things, how to embrace the history, all of the history. Um, so it's, it's interesting, and I, don't know, I feel like I'll always feel like an outsider, but there are, there are two Richmonds, as people always say. There's the RVA, and then there's the Richmond, and um, so it's interesting. Well, thank you so much, Risa. And I know you said that you may always feel like an outsider, but please know your voice matters and you are here. So when these things come up in these topics, I want to encourage you to make your voice known. So thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for uh, hearing my story. <laughs> up next, we have Austin Higgs. Hey, Austin. Hey, Chelsea. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. 
So first off, tell the listeners a little bit about who you are and how you identify here on Women's Voices today. Yeah, so as you mentioned, my name is Austin Higgs. I also go by the stage name Aurora von Otterhausen. So it's Aurora if you're nasty. And I, among being Chelsea's sister, am a Richmonder who identifies as transgender or gender non-binary, gender fluid, gender queer. And I like to think of myself as a visionary, an advocate for the LGBTQIA plus community, among many other things that are probably not safe to mention on any sort of recording. (laughs) And there you have my sister. Um, All right. So thank you so much for being here. Today, we're really asking about based on how you identify and really using those lenses to answer these questions. Talk a little bit about your experience in Richmond on finding safe or comfortable spaces to be yourself. So where in Richmond do you feel like you can be you? I feel At this point in my life, I'm very lucky to and very privileged to be able to say that I feel safe being me pretty much everywhere. Um, That said, places I don't necessarily just feel safe are these streets of Richmond. Um, Catcalling is a very real thing. Once you present as femme, that's something I did not have a, a real appreciation for before I transitioned. And I think that if it has nothing to do with being like, attractive, um, conventionally pretty. It is all about kind of the, the truths of the, and the, what's the word? Uh, it's about male gaze. Honestly, it's, it's a weird power dynamic and it's about maintaining for men, I should say, it's about maintaining either social or sexual relevance in this weird way and maintaining dominance in this way that I did not realize was really a thing and it is really scary and I will say that I feel great and I feel myself I feel like I'm authentic until someone feels the need to like shout out at me and main and assert their dominance their male dominance and I just think to myself this I almost felt guilty about not acknowledging it as much as I did before because women around me always talked about it and always talk about how much of a problem catcalling was and being a cisgender gay male at the time who was thirsty for attention I was like how bad could it possibly be like oh my god that sounds like a dream and then you're like oh wait no my actual physical safety is at risk and this is really scary and the idea of these men also knowing or finding out that I'm trans adds another complexity to it and makes it that much scarier because are they going to go through that gay panic and and kind of feel ashamed that they were catcalling someone who is transgender and want to take their anger out on me because they feel some sort of shame so yeah I mean it's a weird it's a weird mix when you ask me where do I feel safe my first thought is to tell you where I feel unsafe more more than where I do feel safe. Everywhere else, I feel validated. I feel seen. I feel authentic. Um, but in the places where I'm not being objectified or fetishized, I feel like I have agency. But in the moments where I'm objectified, fetishized, catcalled, I feel like my power, my agency is being stripped away from me. It's being snatched from me. And I mean, there are, it's so hard to articulate that to somebody who doesn't 
understand it firsthand. And in a way, I kind of, though I feel guilty, I also know that if I were to go back to myself a year ago and explain these feelings, I don't know that I would have been able to articulate it. And so I think, honestly, what I'm learning from this is we really do just have to start believing people of marginalized communities and taking their word for it. If you can't conceptualize it, that's fine. You, you don't have to conceptualize it. Be thankful you can't conceptualize it, honestly. But you do need to take people at, at face value and take what they say at face value and pray that you don't have to find out firsthand. You mentioned just a year ago, you would have had a different feel, a different lens to this. Would you mind sharing a little bit about the past year and the change, any other changes that you've seen or just recognized within yourself becoming who you are now? Yeah, absolutely. So I recently transitioned. I About a year ago, I knew, I think I identified as genderqueer, non-binary, gender fluid, and that had been the case since I was about 23. I'm 28 now, and starting, what was it, September, on September the 20th, which there's a whole lot of, I have a big significance. My sister knows that I, I see 920 all over the place, and I decided to kind of reclaim that because I always freaked out and was like, oh my gosh, 920, is there going to be some significance to that number? And I decided to reverse engineer my own significance into that number. So on 9-20, aka September 20th, I decided to start hormone replacement therapy. And that was the day that I really decided to take my my future, take my, my self-actualization into my own hands and live authentically because I think I always have known that I wanted to be femme or be a woman, femme presenting, whatever you want to call it. But because of the structures, the social structures that are in place, I've already being a black, queer person who's from below the poverty line and has already have all these troubling statistics facing them, I just couldn't conceptualize adding another layer of complexity to my life. And it wasn't until the summer, and Chelsea knows we had a lot of things happening in the summer, I was in a potentially really uh, scary car accident. I mean, it was really scary. It could have been it could have been so much worse than it was. And a week after that, our beloved cousin passed away um, after her fight with cancer. And honestly, that summer was one of the darkest seasons that I can remember. And for no reason that I could really put my finger on. But it was after that that I just realized that I, I've i got to start living a life that is more fulfilling because life is both too short and too long to live anything other than authentically. So 920 was coming around and I was already particularly kind of anxious about 920 coming up because of the past few months. And I was like, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to be afraid of this number anymore. I'm not going to be afraid to live authentically. I'm going to transition. And though before I thought it was going to be adding an extra layer of complexity to my life, it turned out to be something that simplified my life and made it so much more livable and bearable and more bearable. I mean, more than bearable. I mean, it's a, I feel like my life is a celebration now and people are celebrating me for it. And as much as the the meek little person in me wants to run away from the attention in one way. There's also this part of me that feeds on th this attention and feeds on this sense of community and people wanting to support me. And so I just ran to it, honestly. So I could not have, I could not have foreseen how more three-dimensional and technicolor my life feels now compared to pre-920. 
So I asked you about who you are now, and I, I want to change that narrative. So as your sister, you are who you always have been. Mm-hmm. And then the fact that you changed the narrative on 920, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And like and what that means to all of us. And I just, I, being your big sister, I'm just so happy to hear that this is something that simplified your life. I think it's so important for people to hear that mm-hmm. too, for other folks that are looking at this like, this is so hard for you. I think for someone that knows you and loves you, this was like, I'm so glad you're just doing it. You're right. jumping. This is the time. So I just wanted to say, because my question to you was who you are now, but I wanted to be really clear that you're the same person you've always been. And it's just who, how you present yourself, whether that's makeup or hair or anything. And I, I definitely want to talk a little bit more about Richmond, but I just think it's so amazing that you're here and you're so brave and our beloved my beloved daughter who calls you Tintin and it's just such a pleasure for young people to be able to look up to folks that are just being their authentic selves and seeing that authenticity is actually simplicity if we dive into that we lean into that we can be happy with that so I just really want to say thank you for sharing that and for being honest in that and, and also saying yes to the support like letting people love on you, letting people support you is so, so important. So where else in Richmond places or spaces do you feel really supported or around whom and what, what, how? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and just to kind of respond to that, um, thank you for creating a safe space for me. And I, you know, we are just two pieces of an amazingly vibrant and supportive and loving family. And so I couldn't be as authentic and quote unquote brave as I am if I didn't have the support system that I feel that so many people and with my intersection of identities lack. So I just wanted to say that because I am super thankful. Also, so your question about where in Richmond do I feel safe? I have got to say, again, I'm a complex uh, intersection, set of intersection of identities. And as true as that is, that there are certain identities that are more salient, more um, important to me and are more relevant in my everyday life. I would say being queer and being black are probably my two most salient identities. And so being anywhere that affirms those two identities are gonna be my favorite places, uh, my favorite spaces to be in, to live in, to express myself in. So places like Gallery 5, which hosts burlesque shows and ice cream socials, which ice cream socials are this amazing, these amazing queer centric parties that are held by DJ Archangel and definitely look them up. They're amazing. The ice cream socials here in Richmond are, I mean, you, I mean, it. it's like walking into like gay queer heaven. <laughs> and I, and I actually feel like I could... I would get into this heaven like (laughs) and so I so I'm so thankful for those spaces and also places like LGBTQIA plus affirming nonprofit organizations like Virginia Anti-Violence Project places like Southerners on New Ground also all of our gay, lesbian-centered bars, although bars and clubs are not my favorite place to be, only because I'm not 
a big drinker, I still appreciate being able to have a space where I don't feel the need to code switch, feel the need to hide or dampen who I am because, you know, I'm a lot of personality. Like, I'm a lot. We all are a lot. It's something that runs in our blood. And it honestly, you, when I have to dampen myself, it's like working out except like not as bad as working out because my god <laughs> and so any pl- anywhere where i can be that is is affirmative of who i am and who my most salient identities that's those are the places i want to be again i cannot emphasize enough how much I love being a part of the burlesque community here in uh, Richmond. As mentioned, my stage name is Aurora von Otterhausen. And being accepted, well, first I should say, I did drag before uh, I was doing burlesque. And drag is amazing, too. Drag is such a vibrant community. But there is something about being a part of the burlesque community that just, I can't even explain. It's, It's this mixture of femme-centric and also sex-positive and body-inclusive, body-positive space that the drag community is amazing, but burlesque knows how to do body-positive like no other space I know. And I really wish that Richmond and Virginia was not, that they weren't plagued with these discretionary ABC laws that we have that are purely subjective and rooted in patriarchal, paternalistic, puritanical nonsense and but you, the thing about burlesque is that it finds a way to get around all of that. And it is, it's creative despite the limitations that face it. So also VCU, just being a part of VCU. I know VCU has, it's not perfect. It's not a perfect place. Some people are saying that it is a part, a major part of gentrification here in Richmond. And with that said, it is also creating places and fostering diversity and inclusion in ways that Richmond just was not doing beforehand. And whether that is because of the people of VCU itself or the people who happen to attend VCU, I'm just so thankful to be a part of the communities here. And VCU jumpstarted my career. VCU is the reason why I'm able to show up at work, them presenting, and no one bats an eye or or questions my profession, my professionalism. I'm, I and they give me health benefits. Like, oh. right? Listen, I mean, I am a black trans woman or black trans femme, whatever you want to call me, and I've got a paying job, an apartment, and health benefits. How many other people with those identities can say that? And there is a problem that not enough people in those in my spaces can't say that. That's something that we need to be working on in Richmond. I want to see more of my peers and more of my community members with health benefits because if we're not living healthy lives or we're worried about how we're going to get tested or get hormone replacement therapy, then that's time taken away being creative geniuses because my community is full of them so i would love to see more more resources here in richmond taking care of the people that i love so dearly so with those hopes i my next question was what are your hopes from richmond but that that fills in a lot of that is there anything else that you want to say or put out there for listeners about just really encouraging everyone to be able to express themselves, to be free, and how to make sure they're creating those spaces? So, um, shameless plug, uh, follow me on Instagram at Aurora Who Is She, all one word. And honestly, I would say 
take part and support organizations that are really trying to move the needle here. If you are someone who has never really been a part of the trans community or the black community, I'm not asking you to come sit in on our meetings. I'm not asking you to come take up space. I'm asking you to support the people who are creating spaces. Support politics and support politicians who are really trying to make progress here. Danica Rome here, Chelsea Higgs Wise, Rebecca Keel, like I want you to support these people because these people know what they're doing. And even if you don't, you can bet that supporting them supports our community. So Oh yeah. Also check out the burlesque scene here in Richmond. Immodest Opulence is an amazing production company. Uh, Afro Tees is a black centric burlesque production that just passed here in Richmond, but you will be seeing more of them. People like Lottie Ellington, people like Deanna Danger, people like Empress Danast and Vanessa Chevelle. I want you to support these people and I want you to seek out their artwork. And if you seek them out, they will amaze you. They will they, you will not be sorry. And support the LGBTQIA plus movement here. Support Planned Parenthood. Support Planned Parenthood. It is one of the few places here in Richmond that people like me can gain access to hormone replacement therapy without gatekeeping. And they function on a model of informed consent because we are all adults and we know what our bodies need and what we need better than some cisgender person who thinks they know better than we do with our own bodies. And, uh, also support women's reproductive rights and support women's rights in general. So um, support all the things. Sup all of the things. All the things. Thank you so much for being here, Austin, Sissy. Of course, it's my pleasure. Love you. Love you. You know, so that was pretty cool, listening to all those stories. I get overwhelmed and a little emotional hearing the different experiences of women. And it reminds me how important it is to listen to women and also check ourselves about who we see as a woman, how we're treating different women, the importance of women's spaces, safe spaces, the lack thereof in Richmond. I mean, hearing Rebecca say that there aren't like quite buildings or things that she could identify initially and even the problematic aspects of certain places that are supposed to be meant and very intentional for queer women and queer experiences. And we know that to be true with Black experiences and hearing loose. You know, I, I appreciate women just coming and sharing very openly and just sitting at a mic with us and kind of spilling out their souls just because we asked them to share their stories and we didn't have to probe very much, right? Like we all have a story. We all should have our stories listened to. All it took was us asking and it's fun because we have a mic and can record it and archive it. Women want to be heard. Yeah, we want to be believed in. Shout out to Valerie Slater. So thank you to all the women that came out. Thank you for all the women that are continuing to do the work and make history here in Richmond. And we'll catch you next week here in Race Capital. I'm from the... Uh, the